Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly Gentleman's Hour today on Trending. Uh, One of the girls I grew up dancing with, I just learned her father died this week after summoning one of the tallest mountains in the world. Over 22,000 feet high, almost 23,000, phenomenal. It took a picture at the top of the mountain and then not long later suffered medical complications. Details yet have not been released, uh, but he actually died from the summit. And it brought to mind this question uh, having to do with proportionate risk, disproportionate risk, uh, and just that male desire for adventure and risk and how important that is for men, but also what can go too far? What might be seemingly selfish? Is it selfish? I think it's a question to ask. And I've had a lot of fascinating conversations about this recently. So we're going to unpack that today on Trending with Catholic writer Casey Chalk, who's also served, and actually the majority of his 20s, serving multiple tours in Afghanistan. We're going to dive into the topic of cultivating risk and adventure in our lives, along with virtue, and phasing into Lent. We're just a week away of the kickoff of Lent with Ash Wednesday. I really hope you're making your Mardi Gras Fat Tuesday plans. I know I am. I started baking cookies today and I thought, you know, just for the fun of it with my daughter, and I thought, you know what, we'll just stash them all away in the freezer for feast days as well as for Fat Tuesday and take a little bit of them out. I'm going to start doing that, especially because it's a fun activity with her and I don't really make time to bake otherwise and yet she really enjoys it, so it's a good thing to do together. Uh, you're listening to Trending with Tim. we also share with you a little bit about what's happening on the pro-life front with the massive expansion of RU486 chemical abortion into pharmacies. We're talking about Walgreens, Rite Aid, among others, and how young people are talking about the importance of not just allowing others to hear pro-abortion TikTok arguments, that we need to hear pro-life arguments engaged one-on-one rather than being influenced by social media and just retorting with pro-abortion responses. You're listening to Trending with Timory. It's our weekly Gentleman's Hour. Casey Chalk, welcome back to Trending here today. Hey, Tim Marie, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. So getting to know a little bit about you and your background, because you're new to trending here, I know you spent the majority of your 20s serving multiple tours in Afghanistan. Can you tell me a little bit about, um, just a little bit about that, and I want to dive into today's topic. Yeah, sure. Um, the first time that I um, went to Afghanistan was in 2009, um, and uh, it was both uh, one of the worst and one of the best experiences of my life. Uh, you know, worse because serving in a war zone was uh, was, was terrifying and, and um, full of all kinds of perils and, and whatnot, but also really thrilling. And um, I felt like I really grew um, as, as a man um, while serving there. Uh, and so, yeah, and I loved it so much. I definitely volunteered for future opportunities to go. And I ended up going back to Afghanistan a, a bunch of times. Uh, for the remainder of my 20s. Yeah. And like, like you said, I spent quite a bit of my, uh, my latter 20s uh, serving both in Kabul and Kandahar, Afghanistan. Thank you for your service and for the great sacrifice you've made for this nation. I know you and I were talking uh, about that in light of a recent story having to do with risk and adventure. So there's so much to unpack here. Uh, I gave you a call yesterday because I heard the news that one of the girls I grew up dancing with, uh, that her dad just died. Now, he has two adult children, and he died after having summited one of the tallest mountains in the world at 22,837 feet. He summited Mount Aconcagua in Argentina. Now, my initial reaction to this was, wow, 
what a way to die. I mean, he literally summited in this massive mountain. I grew up in the mountains about 6,500 feet up and elevation was never really a thing that I fully understood as an issue. But after not living in the mountains, I understand a little better than before. And the risk and danger involved when summiting such a high mountain at such a high altitude. Now, he was photographed having actually made it to the top of the mountain over 22,000 feet high. Uh, But then on his way down, down, it seems like, or not long after having summited. Details haven't come out yet. Um, He suffered medical complications and actually died. And my thoughts as I was kind of thinking about this, I started hearing reactions from other people talking about how it was selfish. And having talked to a number of people, Casey, I've been fascinated to kind of look at this from a couple perspectives. One, asking whether or not it is selfish. And uh, gentlemen, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Numbers one, 888-914-9149, or you can go and comment now on social media. We're taking those comments on the social media posts we put up. Uh, But the other perspective also is the need for adventure and risk in a man's life. I'd like to hear your thoughts, Casey. Um, I mean, I don't know if I would feel competent to judge the individual circumstances of your friend's father. It's, I mean, certainly a, a terrible and sad story. Um, I think I would say more generally that yeah, yeah exactly, I, I, kind of diving into a, the general issue of it. Yeah, so you know, as some as a father, as someone who um, became a father while I was still going to Afghanistan pretty regularly, I know that my wife, certainly after our first child, and then progressively after our second and third, was very insistent that uh, I bring to a close that chapter of my life and, and stop going to the war zone um, where, you know, yeah, my life was much more in danger than it is um, in Virginia where, where we live. And uh, I, I recognized and appreciated that concern that my responsibilities were more uh, directly to my wife and to my kids. And that I had a, a responsibility certainly, to, you know, to, to serve my country. That was great. And I'm very honored and, and uh, excited and happy that I got to do that. But alternatively recognizing that, uh, you know, my primary responsibility was uh, had become a, as a husband and a father and I needed to be responsive to my wife's needs to, and to the needs of my kids and uh, you know yeah to not take risks unnecessarily that would put my ability to provide for them in jeopardy. So what did you do? You transitioned out. Was it an immediate transition? Uh, what did that transition look like? Because I know for some people who are maybe in a similar circumstance they don't know what that transition would even look like for them. Yeah, I did have to go a couple more times after my wife had kind of asked that I you know, stop going uh, to the war zones. Uh, so we did have to, we had a transition period that went on for about a year where I, I went back. I tried to go for shorter periods of time, which I was able to work out and that was good um, so that I wasn't in danger for as long. But yeah, eventually I, I more or less had to change the kind of work that I did in, in order to make that happen. And uh yeah, I mean, in one sense, it's sad. There, there was a great thrill. I, I think I confessed to you yesterday, I was kind of addicted to going to the war zones in a way. There mm-hmm. was kind of just like this uh, exhilarating, uh, you know, thrill from getting being put in danger. But alternatively, I recognized that, you know, I needed to make this broader sacrifice for, you know, for the well-being of my family. And I'm, I'm very grateful that I did mm-hmm. now um, because uh, I like, you know, it, it's a very sad thing. I, I I can think of the people that I knew that I served with uh, who died um, in Afghanistan, and uh, I'm great, grateful to God that uh, that you know, Lord willing, I'll be able to provide for my uh, for my wife and kids for many years to come. I want to talk a little bit about kind of a maturity that I noticed you even shared and kind of that desire for risk uh, and that need for adventure. You shared when we were talking yesterday about how you almost in some ways felt more alive when you were in Afghanistan than you were home. And the fact that you recognize that kind of addresses the issue in and of itself. But I also think it touches deeply on a challenge for many men of that deep-seated need to take a risk, to do something dangerous, um, to have an adventure, and how often for men when they don't have that, uh, it can pose a real challenge for them, uh, both personally as well as in their marriage relationships and with their children. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I do think that, um, I think we live in a, a great crisis uh, in, in regards to men and masculinity in our culture. And there's a lot of... Um, uh, temptations, you know, not just like, I don't just mean like sexual temptations, although that's very legitimate, but temptations to kind of go down really weird routes that, um, that, you know, a lot of celebrities are encouraging as ways to exemplify masculinity from these people, gym rats who, you know, invest massive amounts of time in trying to sculpt the perfect body, 
um, or going on the kinds of adventures like your friend's father, like, like every year I've, you know, I've got to take some big trip and, and go on some great, you know, uh, you know, risky adventure and, and, you know, push the limits. I, I don't know. I suppose that, that can, that can be well and good uh, in certain respects, but alternatively, I think that we li- certainly, I think we have many opportunities to, uh, to exemplify courage and take risks even in our normal lives. I mean, uh, good grief. Uh, my, and my family were, were on one income trying to raise five kids and not send them into the public school system uh, in Virginia. <laughs> that's, that's, there's a lot of risk, a lot of risk involved in that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, but I get it too, that there's a physical component as well. I mean, look, I, I grew up playing competitive tennis. I, I love competitive sports and playing them. And I mean, that's another sacrifice that I've had to make as, as we've had more kids that I haven't had the opportunity to do that. I love it. I think that men need to look for those kinds of opportunities as well. It's, it's good. It's good to compete, um, whether physically or intellectually, you know, cerebrally, you, you can do that with by playing sports. You can do that by playing chess. Um, but yeah, I, I get it that it's, it's deeply ingrained. It's built into the masculine ethos. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it's just more like a, a means of finding what kinds of ways we can do that um, that don't involve going and hiking the biggest mountain in the world. Right. And I think that when you were talking, even giving the example of taking the risk with regard to living on one income in Virginia, trying not to send your kids to public school system, I think there's a difference. And again, this is something that requires maturity. And I use the word maturity because I think it's very easy for all of us to kind of get stuck in this rut of not progressing in our lives emotionally, intellectually. And it's not just children that can be stymied in their development. It's adults too. And certain areas of our lives. And for men to kind of make that transition to see the difference between unnecessary risk to kind of get that fun high uh, versus sacrificial challenge or even fun risks and challenges that aren't quite so dangerous. You give the example of the challenge to provide for your family the way you do. That's a risk and a challenge in and of itself. And I think changing that language and mindset a little bit is a shift that is helpful, especially for those who really do desire great, great challenges, Casey. I even think of, you know, a couple friends in my life, one whose husband has served for many years um, with SWAT and then worked in the Coast Guard and served overseas and works in law enforcement now and really prefers to be in the thick of things in law enforcement on the ground, boots on the ground, rather than progressing up the ranks in more of a managerial desk job. And I see that desire and I see that need. And for some, I think it's greater than others. But adapting that sacrificial challenge and risk is a real maturity that I think is very, very manly in and of itself. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. I think also there's the risk of simply living an authentic Christian faith in a culture which is so deeply secular and antagonistic towards the Christian faith. You know, I think about all of the times where my wife and I have to think through how we're going to have hard conversations with whether it's, you know, people that I have at work um, or neighbors where, you know, their kids are being exposed to um, transgenderism, for example. I mean, we have, we have a neighbor who um, their daughter identifies as both a girl and a boy and figuring out what does it look like to, um, to love them, but also to speak truth into their lives. I mean, you want to talk about risk, that there's a tremendous amount of risk that goes with trying to um, proactively and outspokenly live our, our Christian faith in the 21st century. And I appreciate that you mentioned the issue of transgenderism because that is a risk today in a certain respect, whether it be a risk of hurting the person you're talking to, the risk of alienating yourself. Uh, There are so many things that can go on even with that transgender crisis occurring. I think about uh, yesterday sharing the testimony of a swimmer who uh, tied with so-called Leah Thomas, who's a biological male, competed through for three years at the University of Pennsylvania and suddenly decided to compete as a woman and identify as a woman. And after placing not placing at all against men. He now places and ties with and beats out Olympians and national record holders in swimming. It's fascinating to see that many people are afraid to say, no, it's not okay. It's not okay for this man to be in the women's locker room. But saying no in today's culture really is one of the riskiest, and I would argue even at times adventurous things to do is to stand for your Christian values. So I really appreciate uh, you mentioning that. Have you ever read the book Wild at Heart? 
Yeah, by John Eldridge. Um, yes. I'm a former evangelical, um, and uh, that book was very popular um, with evangelical guys when I was in college. So um, I've, I've skimmed through it. I haven't read the whole thing, but I'm familiar with the general thesis of Eldridge's book. Right. And I know now he has a podcast as well, and we'll have to have him on the show here one of these days. But one of the things that I think is important in a lot of his work that he talks about is that not just men, um, but men and women uh, need adventure in their lives. And if we stop taking adventures, even, for example, in our marriages, if we stop taking adventures together, uh, that it's unhealthy for the relationship. We need that to kind of fight against the restlessness that can naturally occur within our human nature. And I appreciate kind of that need to understand the importance of adventure and understanding not that like men are wild beasts to be tamed, but that men need adventure. They need things that challenge them, um, that kind of step into a primitive world that sometimes I think we've stepped too far away from. Yeah, well, that for me, that brings to mind thinking about the fact that so much of our lives are sedentary now. You know, a lot of young men, I mean, frankly, even people who are guys who are my age or older uh, are addicted to video games and computer games. And I mean, they go there because there is a sense of risk and adventure there. But really, it's uh, it's fabricated because they're just going into this this fake world that really has no connection with reality. I'm not saying that, you know, guys need to necessarily give up all video games or computer games, but I do think it's a great temptation and, and sort of um, uh, a distraction from, from the real risks of the world where, I mean, men, women, children out there, whether we're talking about Christians or non-Christians who need to hear the gospel, those are people who are in desperate need of, of, of men willing to exemplify courage out in the world rather than, you know, with their console uh, alone in a, you know, in, a, in a room in their house playing video games for hours on end. I want to bring the conversation for a minute back to summoning a mountain, kind of what initially triggered this. If you're just listening now with us, joining us, that's Casey Chalk. He's an author, um, writer. You can find his work online. You can also find him at CaseyChalk.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y. C-H-A-L-K.com. We'll post a link on social media uh, to his work. But I shared earlier that an acquaintance of mine that I grew up dancing with, her dad uh, died this last week after summoning one of the tallest mountains in the world in Argentina, Mount Aconcagua, uh, 22,000 feet, almost 23,000 feet high. He was pictured, photographed at the top, and then suffered medical complications uh, not long after that. And it's kind of brought to mind that question of the need for risk in men's lives and the need for adventure. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, what's too far? What's proportionate versus disproportionate risk? We're going to unpack that more. But joining me now, Tom from Chino Hills, California, is on the line. Uh, Tom, share your thoughts on this. Hi, Timory. Yeah, um, I would just like to uh, recount a uh, experience I had with my son and some of my nieces and nephews. We hiked up uh, Mount Whitney, which is the highest peak in the continental United States, is about 14,500 feet, and uh, Denali is higher. But it, it, it's the type of, of, of mountain that's not terribly dangerous. It takes a couple of days to hike up, but there are some somewhat treacherous areas where you're hiking across snowy uh, ledges. And uh, right. it, when we hit one of these with my son, who was in high school at the time, he became gripped. And we were at about 11,000 feet, and he, he almost wanted to turn around and go back. And I said, you can do it. Just follow me. We, we even had a rope that we uh, attached. And he got across it, and he was just uh, elated, you know, just this, this, this milestone mm-hmm. of building confidence. He got to the top of the, uh, the mountain, and we took some pictures. And I have this one picture of him with his arms outspread, almost in a joyful, uh, just lifting up his arms in prayer, just to be at the top of the mountain with uh, people he loved. On the way back down, uh, he went across that ledge with no problem, and it was just one of those moments where you just feel so proud that your son has has done something that where he overcame his fear. So I, I just really encourage fathers to maybe give their kids some things that maybe require uh, uh, some risk where they have to face their fear. And certainly, if he had slipped, he could have slid down that mountain, and you know who knows what could have happened, but you know, with caution, he was able to do it. We all did it, and uh, we're the better for it. So, mm. yeah, some risk-taking is, I think, vital. In, in, and so often parents nowadays, they want to 
protect their kids from any any discomfort or anything that might create right. some fear or maybe even a little bit of risk. Uh, I don't believe in unnecessary risks. Uh, I did some rock climbing, but when I married, I, I just said I'm done with rock climbing because there's just too many too many risks involved with it. So I think each person has to kind of decide for themselves. But if you're a father, provide some risk for your kids. It's, it's the, the rewards are, are tremendous. Tom, I really appreciate you sharing that experience because, again, there's proportionate risk. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, But risk-taking in parenthood, I'm so glad you mentioned that because there is sort of this bubble wrapping of children today. You know, I grew up in the mountains in Southern California. So I'm very, very aware of Mount Whitney and the mountain ranges that we have, gloriously looking up at the peaks, especially there from Chino, uh, where you live. And I remember growing up, you know, we would take off for hours hiking, you know, me and some of my friends and neighbors, and we would rock climb. I mean, things we didn't even think of as being risky and things we never should have done. I remember one day uh, taking my mom on some of kind of the rock climbing areas that we went through, and I never even thought about it as rock climbing. I just thought, okay, we scale down these rocks and we get down to the creek where we want to swim. And it wasn't until years later when I took my mom, uh, she went, oh my goodness gracious, you were doing this every day and you had your little sister on your back or one of your friend's backs. And she was horrified when she realized. But at the same time, I think there's this realization of um, a balance proportionate within fear and allowing for the strings to be loosened, but then also acknowledging uh, the balance in all of that at the same time. And as a father, as a parent, you have to weigh those risks. And like you said, your son certainly could have slipped and fallen a ways down that mountain, which could have been extremely dangerous. But you also knew that he was capable of doing it. Uh, Casey's joining me now. Casey, I'd like to hear your thoughts because you recently had an experience with hiking as well that was a little more on the dangerous side that pushed that kind of parent boundary of proportionate adventure and risk in your and your family's life. Yeah, I recently wrote about this uh, at Crisis Magazine. So this happened over the Christmas holiday. We were visiting my wife's family um, down uh, in Georgia near Atlanta. And uh, for those from the South, maybe familiar with Stone Mountain, um, which uh, is not a particularly treacherous hike unless uh, it's rained a lot, which in this case it, it had. And uh, me kind of being stupid and not not really thinking that through, and it had been a number of years since I'd gone up Stone Mountain, I went up with um, my three, no, four oldest children. Um, my youngest was uh, was two years old. And we, we got to a point where it became very slick. But I, I thought we were just so close to the top, and I really wanted them to be able to, to see the view from the top because it, it really is incredible and, and, and worth it. Um, but uh, I, I was basically I, I pushed them too hard. We were, we were beyond what my kids were capable of. There was a lot of crying from the girls, um, and there may have been crying from, from boys too, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to throw them under the bus. But, uh, <laughs> they were young. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, it, it did, it did reach a point where, where I had to recognize that, uh, that I, I had already been imprudent and that to go on further would, uh, would really endanger them. Um, and especially because, uh, my, my youngest, my two-year-old, I more or less had to carry him for, a, for a lot of the, the top of, uh, that, that hike. Um, and getting back down took a long time. Um, I really had to rely on, uh, my nine-year-old daughter who, uh, like you as a dancer. And so she was, she's very sure-footed, thank God. Um, and she was able to kind of help me with getting the younger kids who felt a lot less confident um, to get down that mountain. But afterwards, uh, yeah, I, going to the caller's point, I think it's really important to find that a healthy balance. Um, we're, we're called to demonstrate courage, one of the cardinal virtues. We're also called to demonstrate prudence, another one of the cardinal virtues. And I think that um, finding the, the right level of risk, uh, of course, like you said, I think it's, it's always going to be a judgment call in particular circumstances, but it's, I think it's the intersection mm-hmm. of those two virtues and recognizing, you know, where prudence, what prudence has to say about the level of risk that we're willing to take and not, you know, making, making ridiculously, you know, f- foolish decisions that are going to endanger us or endanger others. Um, and to his point as well about, you know, uh, coddling kids, there, there's actually a very good book on this that came out a few years ago um, by uh, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff, I think are their names, The Coddling of the American Mind, which I definitely encourage uh, listeners to, to check out, um, which one of the main, these, uh, these guys are, one's a psychologist, I want to say the other one maybe is in, uh, is in law, and they talk about the, the detrimental impact that um, parent helicopter parenting is having on children, um, not just as they're young and trying to, you know, push boundaries and explore and learn about themselves in the natural world, but 
you know, the effect that it's having on them as they go to college and then enter the workforce, that their inability to take risk and their need to be protected and have safe spaces, the, the detrimental impact it's having on their own emotional maturity and psychological development. We'll post a link to that book as well as Wild at Heart and the Calling of the American Mind. Um, Casey, let's come back in just a moment because I would like to talk a little bit more about developing virtue in the midst of a taking risk and adventure, how we can cultivate risk and adventure in your lives. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. It's our weekly Gentleman's Hour. If you have a thought, would like to weigh in on the conversation, especially with regard to risk taking and uh, you know summoning that mountain, numbers 1-888-914-9149. listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. It's our weekly Gentleman's Hour, and we've been talking about taking risk and proportionate risk. So we'll talk about virtue and how to cultivate risk-taking and adventure in your life so that you don't grow restless. And I get it. You know, I grew up in the mountains. I grew up hiking all of the time. I talked about some of the risks that we used to take um, that is somewhat horrifying, especially now as a parent to think about, but also the importance of not overly coddling a child and uh, taking that risk analysis of what is a good, healthy risk and challenge uh, for your children. What sparked this conversation is that over the weekend, I learned about the death of an acquaintance of mine who I grew up dancing with. Uh, his um, He has two adult children now, but he actually died this past Past week after summiting Mount Aconcagua in Argentina. It's one of the tallest mountains in the world, almost 23,000 feet high. He summited it, took some pictures, and suffered medical complications not long after. Uh, Casey, let's talk about this. You're a Catholic writer. You spent the majority of your 20s serving multiple tours in Afghanistan. You shared about how, you know, when you got married and started having children, your wife asked you to, you know, pull back from serving overseas, and you had to make a career transition. So you get this. Uh, And especially coming from the perspective of theology and being a parent, a father, while still having that desire for adventure and risk. Um, where do we find the balance in risk-taking? And let's talk a little bit about some of those adventures that would be healthy adventures to take. Well, I think some of the healthy adventures are things that you know we can do even within our own neighborhoods and communities, like the book that I mentioned before the break, The Coddling the American Mind, you know, one of the things the authors talk about, and it, I find it kind of amusing because I think perhaps our parents or grandparents understood these things just very naturally. But the idea that you would just let your kids go off and wander in the woods. Now, granted, you know, I'm saying, not saying necessarily, you know, if you live like in uh, downtown New York City, you just go out you know, let your kids go wander off, you know, throughout the city or something like that. But for those who live in suburbia or more rural places, you know, and it, especially if, you know, as, as long as you know the area in which you live pretty well. Um, and I think parents need to think about that too, in terms of where they want to yeah. buy houses for, mm-hmm. you know, for their families, where their kids can have some safety uh, to be able to go out and explore. I can tell you that my kids love going out into the woods. They they yearn for the days where they, when it's, when it's not raining and they can go out and build forts and find streams and try to catch things in the water and whatnot. So um, certainly we need to encourage those things for our own children. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about it for adults is, yeah, that's, little bit different. (laughs) Right. You know, it's funny, though, just to kind of interrupt briefly, what you mentioned wandering the woods and allowing kids to do this. What's really funny is when I'm having this conversation with some women about, you know, men and needing to take risk and, you know, what selfish isn't. It was fascinating to me some of the things that women thought um, selfish or like reckless for men to do. And one thing mentioned was um, a wife whose husband, you know, used to like to go and like kind of wander off in the woods by himself. And to me, I'm thinking that sounds great. I grew up in the mountains, you know, bears, mountain lions. Yes, there's risk. But, you know, you have a certain amount of training to know what to do uh, with regard to certain situations as well. And it was just very fascinating for me to see um, how different people have different perspectives, I think, based on upbringing and what seems disproportionately risky. Uh, I don't think wandering in the woods is risky, but that's something that, you know, maybe you grew up doing versus someone else that didn't. But let's talk a little bit about finding that proportionate balance. And you were mentioning finding the balance between the virtue of courage and prudence in the midst of this as well. Yeah, so I think that the reason... 
why uh, the cardinal virtues play such a big role in the Christian life and in Catholic theology is because um, God created a world in which he wanted us to encounter risk because it's actually the means by which we mature and grow. It's, it's the way that we become more of ourselves and, and certainly more holy. Um, so we need to be looking for opportunities. I mean, frankly, I, I, I think the older I get, the opportunities just come. If you, as long as you're, you know, living, trying to live an authentic Catholic lifestyle, you don't have to look hard for opportunities to exemplify uh, courage and, and prudence. I mean, I, I mentioned before, you know, work, uh, a lot of people um, probably are, are in work environments where they deal with difficult people. Um, perhaps they're very stressful. Perhaps there are uh, a lot of people in the workplace that are not of the same faith or hold the same values. So having to navigate difficult conversations, difficult interactions, difficult choices, um, all of those are, are fantastic opportunities to, uh, yeah, to take risks and exemplify courage by, you know, being faithful, which is not, it's a very hard thing to do um, in the American in which we live. Um, many professions are encountering more challenges just to try and do their work and be faithful to Christ and to the church. The question arises, and I'm seeing it come up on social media as we're talking about taking risk. One of the common things that a lot of people like to do now, especially here in Southern California, is to go off-roading, which I have never been able to understand. I've only ever been off-roading twice, and um, I was with people who chose to have children in the car. I'm not saying I condone that or not, um, but... It, the whole off-roading thing, I just don't get my, why would you risk your car and why would you risk tipping over? I think my heart was like strained the entire time. Uh, but for some, that's the type of risk they take and a lot of people take today, which is interesting to me. Yeah, I wonder if some of that has to do with the fact that we are so insulated from risk in a lot of other places in our lives. I think it, perhaps the pandemic kind of demonstrates that in a certain regard in the fact that, you know, we were, we were so focused on uh, protecting our health. I think that's representative of, of a larger, you know, uh, insulation from threats yes. in our lives. You know, the fact that we, uh, I mean, e even something as simple as air conditioning. I mean, the thought of living <laughs> without air conditioning is something that most Americans, I mean, ha having, you know, served in places like uh, Africa and I, I know what it's like to go without air conditioning for a long period of time. It is very unpleasant. Um, but, you know, we, we are very sheltered now. And I think perhaps the desire to go off-roading or, or, you know, I don't know, paragliding or any, any of these other <laughs> kinds of, you know, in, intense things, uh, you know, I think they represent the, 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 the real human desire to be, to be placed in those kinds of circumstances and the need for it in the fact that, yeah, I mean, if, you're, if your daily humdrum existence is just constant comfort, um, then, uh, then yeah, you're going to look for more extreme ways to, to get that thrill. It was funny. Someone recently mentioned to me how like skydiving they thought was such a disproportionate risk, but the studies actually show that very, very few people actually die skydiving and not that it doesn't happen, uh, but it's interesting again to see like what we think is risky and what isn't and kind of weighing those costs in the midst of it. Oh, yeah. No, that's true. I mean, I guess in some respects, you know, we take a lot of risks when we get in the car and we start driving really yes. aggressively on the road. <laughs> yeah, I agree. In comparison to getting on an airplane or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, just getting in the car, we forget we literally have a lethal weapon in our hands. I remember when I was learning how to drive, my mom would say that over and over again. This is a lethal weapon that you have in your hands. Like, don't use it in a way that can endanger your life or the lives of others. And yet, isn't that how so many people, I mean, driving on the road, I had a teenager um, just come flying at me. He had a yield sign last week, and I was on a main street. It was like a six lane road. And I was just driving, you know, 45 and a 50. And he comes flying at me and I'm swerving, kind of honk at him. And he starts laying on his horn looking at me. And I'm looking back when there's no merge lane and there's a yield sign for you. You're practically merging onto like a freeway. This is how quickly people are driving here. I'm driving slowly. And I was shocked that he, for like five minutes behind me on this road, was shaking his head and waving his arm, but it just showed to me how important it was um, to so many of our young boys today to be able to just like drive really fast and just go for it and want to feel alive in the midst of that. As my producer Jim just mentioned, I think that comment is really key um, to want to feel alive in the midst of what you're doing. Yeah, Timmy, I'm sorry. I think that might have been me. So I do apologize for uh, <laughs> <clears throat> for that behavior on the road the other day. But 
Yeah, and I, I guess you know to the broader to the broader theme of of this show, I, I think it's all about then trying to find ways where we can um, identify some some risk that's actually you know that that it's going to be life affirming and, and make us feel like I said you know like that we have a, a a vibrant existence and we're and we're looking forward and excited about you know the next day and like and I and like I said as someone who's I'm very athletic and love playing sports and um, you know having gone in and served overseas and whatnot, I, I get that. And I, and I yearn for those experiences too, you know, look, um, I hope that, you know, as my kids get older, that we'll be able to take trips internationally. There's lots of places that I've gone, uh, you know, some of them a little bit more dangerous than others that I'd love to be able to, I, to share with my kids. But, you know, of course you have to think carefully about the level of risk, you know, like I hope that, um, I recently, I got to go to Peru a couple of years ago and, and hike uh, Machu Picchu and uh, I love Lima, um, for those, um, who are familiar with some of the the saints of South America? Some of the greatest saints of the Americas are, are from Lima, Saint Rosa Lima and Saint uh, Martin de Porres. So I, I want to you know expose my kids to some of those stories and get and get to see that part of the world. But you know, right now Peru is going through a major constitutional crisis. So am I going to take my family right there, uh, you know, uh, to to Lima and and put them that at that increased risk? No, I think I'll, I think I'm going to go ahead and wait, you know, until things are a little bit more stable. So mm-hmm. like, again, it just goes to show that we have to kind of, we have to moderate that desire for risk with uh, prudential judgment. Prudential judgment while still building up courage, building up endurance, um, uh, building all of these things that are so important. And, you know, I think about it, I got that growing up, growing up in the mountains, going hiking, you know, that challenge and that difficulty. And you even mentioned that you took your two-year-old on that hiking excursion that you had. And it sounds like your two-year-old hiked part of the time. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, he was on the ground most of the time, but yeah, I, I mean, once, once when it was flat, but once, once, right. once it was, uh, yeah, once it was steep, then I had to carry him. But yeah, and I wanted, to, I wanted all my kids to be able to experience that um, because, like you know, like I, this is something very natural in children yes. that that they want to experience, and I think it's it's terribly sad when parents um, more or less just shield them from all of these things, whether it's by technology or just overwhelming their lives with lots of um, very um, uh, organized activities. I, I know obviously kids need some of that too, but they also need the freedom to just kind of go ahead out and explore and, and test limits. And the only way they're going to be able to do that really is kind of like on their own. Um, what, you know, when they can go and explore, you know, whether it's, uh, whether that's the woods or hiking or in the water or whatever. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's Casey Chalkett. Casey, thank you so much for joining us today. You can find his writing online. CaseyChalk.com is the best way to get in contact with him. He writes for Crisis Magazine and many other uh, publications. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Again, catch him on online as well. We'll post the link on social media. Just follow me at Timory, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Lent is just around the corner. We're a week away. Can you believe it? You can elevate your Lent this year in just two minutes each day with Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass. Packed with interesting facts to help you learn more about Mass and your faith. See why these bite-sized videos had over a million views last year. Sign up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass today at relevantradio.com slash Lent, and they are free. Okay, while we're talking about Lent, we are a week away from kicking off the Lent season with Ash Wednesday. So mark your calendars, figure out what your Mass time options are, and go to one of the busiest Masses of the year. I know it can be a little overwhelming. But hey, if you go to a super, super early mass, you know, like those 6.30 a.m. masses, it might not be as packed. Uh, but before we talk about Lent here, I do have to say we're coming up on Fat Tuesday as well that has somehow basically become a national holiday even for non-Catholics, as also known as a Mardi Gras. So plan your Mardi Gras adventure because this is a great year to really dive in this Lent. And sometimes a feast before the famine can be a really good way to keep things in perspective, to transition us into and out of a liturgical season. I was just sharing, I'm working on kind of doing more cooking activities with my two-year-old. And baking is one of those things we're starting to do more often. And so I decided to start baking different types of cookies each day this week to save some and freeze them because cookies freeze really well, I've learned. Uh, but to freeze them for uh, 
for example, feast days that I'm not in a rush to make them that day when I want to do all those fun Catholic things that just aren't realistic to make it all happen in one day. Or for days such as taking a handful of an assortment out uh, for specifically Fat Tuesday. Uh, So let me know what you like to do for Mardi Gras and Fat Tuesday. I know we're kind of piecing together what our plans will be on this end. Uh, But this is also the season as we plan for the party before the famine to phase into Lent. And one of the things I really love in the extraordinary form of the liturgy is that this past Sunday was a celebration of what's known as Sexagesima Sunday. And that is what marks kind of this kind of 60 days leading up to Easter. It's known as the second Sunday before Lent and the eighth Sunday before Easter, (laughs) if you ever hear those references. But why that's important is that the church is preparing us to go in and out of these liturgical seasons. And so this celebration of Sexagesima Sunday is a phasing into Lent, a recognition that Lent is coming. In fact, uh, the Greeks and the Slavs used to uh, phase into Lent by this past Sunday, starting to abstain from meat because it used to be Lent was much more intense uh, than it is today. And for many cultures within the Catholic Church, um, there was no meat eaten at all during Lent. And so, this phasing into Lent, even if you're not completely cutting out meat, uh, even if you are, you know, maybe unsure as to what you're going to do just yet this Lent, this is where the church is saying or has in the history of the church said, hey, pay attention. This liturgical season is really important. And just as Jesus Christ spent 40 days in the desert praying and fasting before entering into public life uh, and his public witness that he lived out, Uh, We, too, are called to take these 40 days out of the year, carve them aside for profound, profound spiritual growth, development, eradicating sin from our lives. And to do that well means we need to prepare. And I'm all about saying, hey, if you're already in the midst of Lent, you know, it's not too late to pick things back up or start to begin with, even if you start late. Uh, but there's also that opportunity to say, let me be intentional this Lent. Let me prepare. And so here are some tips I'd like to throw your way for getting ready. Um, you need to pray your way into Lent. And so that means prayerfully discerning what sort of sacrifices you're going to make, what things you're going to give up, what things you're going to do. It's important that we recognize that Lent is meant to make up uh, three parts, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and that we should really be touching on all three of those areas, ideally each day of Lent in some small way, or maybe a big way throughout Lent. And Yet at the same time, discerning the sacrifices that we're going to make is very important. I was just talking to a friend of mine recently who had really planned on making a lot of sacrifices uh, in her life at perhaps an imprudent time. And it led her uh, to really impact her family in a way that negatively impacted her family by these great sacrifices that she was making uh, as an act of faith. And when we were talking about how negatively it had impacted her and impacted her interactions with other people, I really encouraged her to think about whether or not she'd actually prayerfully considered whether or not that was a sacrifice she was being called to make. And she said, no, I didn't. I never even thought of that. And it's a good lesson. I remember a priest friend of mine about five years ago said, you know, so often we're focused on this is what I'm doing for Lent. This is what I'm giving up for Lent. But we don't actually stop and ask, God, is this what you want for me? Is this what I'm going to do this Lent? I remember that year I had decided that I wasn't going to focus, and I don't recommend this because it's rather difficult, but I was not going to focus on a specific thing I was giving up or doing that Lent, but I was praying that each day God would kind of just reveal what that opportunity was uh, for me to work on that day, and that that was the thing I was sort of going to chase after, um, whether it needed to be, you know, sin that I needed to work on eradicating from my life or a sacrifice that I could make, and it was really really fascinating in a very big opportunity to grow spiritually by trying to be aware of those opportunities for sacrifices rather than always trying to go and seek them out. Because the reality is, is that our state in life actually already really does present its opportunity. I was even just praying uh, late last night, looking at the crucifix on the wall in my bedroom. And 
I've shared with you before that our crucifix uh, that we have, one of them, is a very special crucifix for our family because when I was married, my husband Gabriel and I exchanged our vows over the crucifix. We had our hands wrapped in the priest's stole, uh, our hands one over the other, embracing the crucifix and the stole, and the priest holding our hands in the stole together. And when we exchanged vows, we, we exchanged them on the crucifix. Uh, this is an old tradition. I can share it with you a little bit more. Maybe I'll share, I'll share a little bit more about it tomorrow in Trending. But one of the things that's stated by the priest when you do this is the priest actually looks at the congregation and looked at us as a couple and said that you found your cross and that isn't one another. And I know it's a little bit of a gruesome way in some ways to look at marriage, but it's true. So often we look for all of these opportunities for sacrifice when the reality is, is that the opportunity to serve and sacrifice is right there in front of us. Whether it be those terrible things that all of us tend to do that negatively impact our spouse, or whether it be those things that, and bad habits, or even just quirks we don't like that our spouse engages in that we really wish they didn't do, but are an opportunity to instead set aside our feelings, our frustrations, our complaints, and embrace our spouse instead. Uh, So as we prepare for Lent, I want to encourage you to really ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what you are being called to this Lent. St. Teresa of Avila in her writing in spiritual theology has talked much about uh, the need to focus on usually what presents itself as one predominant sin that we're struggling with. Often, every single one of us usually has one sin that is really getting in the way and what's causing all of these sins. And often it's pride. And seeing how pride connects to all of those bad habits uh, that you might have, uh, those sins that are habitually occurring, whether venial or perhaps mortal, which if you're in a state of mortal sin, go running to confession, make the appointment, pound down father's door, because we have certainly a very high level, an absolute level of culpability uh, to confess our mortal sins. So a little Advent prep, or sorry, not Advent, uh, Lend prep for you as we come up on Ash Wednesday, a week from today. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I do want to talk for a minute about pro-life rhetoric, and what inspired this conversation is Patrick A. Log, one of my producers here at Relevant Radio, went to one of the protests this past weekend um, at the headquarters of one of the many pharma- um, pharmaceutical companies that are going to be selling um, RU-486, the abortion pill, not known as Plan B, but RU-486 can really be taken up to about 10 weeks uh, gestationally. It's so bad for women, causing autoimmune issues, hemorrhaging, death in many cases. And we aren't even reporting on our stats here in California or the United States, but the United Kingdom and other places have stats far better recognized showing how detrimental RU486 abortion pill is for women, yet it's being deregulated and now can be sold at places such as Rite Aid and Walgreens, and they're saying they're going to start selling it. Uh, So Patrick Alog went to one of the protests yesterday uh, addressing this specific issue uh, at our pharmacies, and he talked to a couple of young girls about high school age, and I was interested to hear what they had to say about engaging in conversations with those who we disagree with. Listen to what they had to say about why they were there protesting and um, engaging in the pro-life debate today. And what is your name? Joanna. And, and what is your name? I'm Rose. And then uh, where you guys come from to go to this uh, uh, abortion protest here at Walgreens headquarters in Illinois? We are from upstate New York by Syracuse. And what inspired you guys to come all the way from uh, Syracuse, New York, to come here to Illinois? That Walgreens is starting to sell the abortion pill, and that I just think that women should actually know the truth about what this abortion pill does to the baby inside of it. Now, what is it like, you know, talking to people, uh, fellow people your age about abortion in general? I find that people um, have these, like, buzzwords and, like, key arguments that they hear on TikTok and everything. And they don't actually think through the issues. They don't critically. They don't apply critical thinking. And um, it's honestly frustrating to me. I, I'm honestly guilty of it myself. Sometimes I just go on the other side, the pro-life platitudes and so forth. But you know, I really want to, um, you know, understand why I support life and be able to articulate that to people because, you know, the people on the other side, they just, they just repeat a bunch of lines that they don't even realize what they mean or the implication of them. And um, they're hurting a lot of people in the process. 
And what message are you guys trying to send to Walgreens and the other pharmacies? That this abortion pill is very dangerous and risky, risky, and I think abortion should stop around the nationwide. These two young women who traveled from New York to Illinois to oppose Walgreens at Walgreens headquarters um, actually selling RU46 abortion pill uh, there at the pharmacy. It's shocking to know that that's even going to happen and this will be a massive, unfortunate expansion of abortion. But one thing that really stood out and what these two um, high school age girls were sharing was the line where they mentioned people just keep repeating pro-abortion lines from TikTok. That's important to recognize that they recognize, high schoolers today, that their peers are pro-abortion mainly because they're just reiterating what they're hearing from their realm of social media influencers on TikTok. So one, yes, it does say that we need to engage where young people are at on TikTok and these social media programs, but it also says, and something that they mentioned important, that other people need to hear need to hear the pro-life arguments. And yes, they need to hear them on social media, but they need to hear more than one-liners. They need to grapple with the idea. They need to be challenged. They need to be able to work through their ideas. I find that really most people are actually not pro-abortion. They just think they are pro-abortion. And when I have engaged in pro-abortion arguments, especially just going down the streets, going to the beach, engaging in pro-life activism, heading to the mall, actually asking questions and saying, did you know this? Or what do you think about that? Often people don't actually know what they think about the intricacy of how horribly abortion impacts a woman and how it actually kills a child. And many people are left speechless or as this young woman said, repeating the same lines over and over again that they've heard. And we have to push that narrative to get people thinking because it really does change hearts and minds with regard to the pro-life issue and being pro-woman and pro-life and that the two go hand in hand. Dating, marriage, relationships, so many questions. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Thursday is our weekly marriage hour, and we'll do anything and everything from taking your questions on dating, marriage, relationships, including experts in all areas of relationships to long-term marriage. We'll also dive into some of the most important topics confronting how to find true love today. So join me Thursday at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.